Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast powered by Twisted Tea. Got a couple more opponent previews to kick off the week before we dive into some Ole Miss football content as it is finally game week. The wait for the college football season is over. Going to talk to Weldon a little bit later on in the week and a couple other things as well, but a couple more opponent previews to kick off the week. We've got Matt Stahl who covers Alabama for AL.com. We talked about how the Tide is really in an unprecedented position as far as the Saban era is concerned in terms of expectations, who's going to play quarterback, what this defense might look like, and what defines a successful season for Alabama. Then in the second half of the show, we have my old radio cohort, cohort Brian Haydad, talking all things Mississippi State, Will Rogers, Zach Arnett's first year, a favorable eight home game schedule, and what you can expect from the Bulldogs in 2023. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy it. Probably get you in the football mood. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Rent the Sip Oxford. Rent the Sip's Oxford's Turnberry unit is located right off Old Taylor Road, less than a mile from the Ole Miss campus. It will sleep eight comfortably. It is gated. It includes amenities such as a... A pool, a sauna, tennis courts, it is gated. It will sleep eight comfortably. It is a perfect spot for a weekend getaway in Oxford or maybe just a couple nights passing through in the middle of the week. Whatever the case may be, hotels can be expensive, particularly on big weekends. It's hard to find a place to stay. Rent the Sip Oxford has you covered. I know some of you out there want to come to the Mercer game. Yes, it'll be hot, but it's the season opener. And maybe you're looking for a place to stay. This unit is still available for Mercer weekend. Go online to rentthesipoxford.com and book it Today, if you use the promo code Rippy Rights, R-I-P-P-E-E, Rights, R-I-T-E-S, you and you get a hundred bucks off any two nights day. Take advantage of this deal. It is a great place to stay. It is walking distance from the Ole Miss campus, walking distance to the Grove, walking distance to Vaught Hemingway, and it is available for the first home game as well as Vandy and ULM. Check them out, rentthesipoxford.com. Don't miss out on this. Book your stay today. That is rentthesipoxford.com. This podcast is also brought to you by C Spire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service on the market with C Spire Fiber. The past few years have shown us how important it is to have reliable inter home internet connection for you and your family. That's why C Spire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. C Spire also prides themselves with the best customer service in the industry. Their customer service is award-winning, local service based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. C Spire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and South Alabama regions. C Spire is proud to announce the release of their brand new two gigabit and eight gigabit internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Go online to cspire.com today and use promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, -E, for one month of free service. You hear that? If you just for listening to this podcast, you get one month of free service and the best internet on the market. Check it out today. Ceasefire, customer inspired. All right, here is Matt Stahl. All right, continuing our opponent preview series here on the podcast, we now welcome on Matt Stahl, Alabama beat reporter for AL.com. I appreciate you joining us, man. How you doing? Doing good, doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, as we record this early on a Friday, we're a little over a week away from the uh, college football season getting going. I guess week zero technically could count tomorrow. But, you know, for Ole Miss Alabama purposes, about eight days away from the season. Alabama's in a fascinating spot and probably in a much more unique spot than maybe at any other time in the Saban era, other than maybe when he first got there, is they didn't win the West last year. They seemingly kind of lost the face of their offense 
um, in Bryce Young at quarterback. And there's just more uncertainty to me than there has been with years past about an Alabama team and an Alabama roster, albeit still very talented. What has been kind of the buzz around camp about expectations for this team and where you think they can go? Well, I mean, in typical Nick Saban fashion, you've seen him talk about how he doesn't want to set any expectations for this team. You know, it's all let's let's be driven by the process, not so much the results or whatever. But I, th- I think among the fan base, you're starting you're definitely seeing some like real anxiety, like from a fan base where it's not like like most fan bases. Ole Miss, you know, Western Kentucky, where I went to college, I used to be on the Missouri beat. Like you could have a really fun football season, right? (laughs) And not win the national title or not even show up in the SEC title game. Not really the case here. Like people don't, I I don't think enjoy the week to week winning as much as uh, like, I think you probably should. Uh, so I, you're definitely getting to the point of anxiety. Like, are we, is this whole thing done? Like, are we, uh, we just, you know, going to be really good, but not a national title contender anymore. Cause like, yeah, I don't, I don't know that people be happy with that, but yeah, it's a, it, it's a weird year because, you know, you also see, I mean, this 20, this latest recruiting class for Nick Saban was awesome. Like, it was one of the best in the country. So it's like, could this just be, could this year be sort of another blip in the radar and then next year right back at it? Who knows? Yeah. And I imagine you mentioned kind of Saban in typical Nick Saban fashion. There's got to be a part of him that just absolutely loves this shit. For years when they were the prohibited favorite, you pretty much knew they were going to run through the SEC West without a ton of resistance. He would kind of do basically what Kirby Smart does now when they talk about, you know, Georgia seven and five, nobody believes that type of thing. There's got to be a, a piece of Saban that kind of relishes the fact that they are actually finally legitimately flying under the radar a little bit. And there are real questions. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you have to like wonder when the last time a year like this happened for Alabama, right? Like, I, I mean, I was 10 when Nick Saban showed up at Alabama. So I don't really remember. Like, I mean, I would have been like one of the Shula years where people went into a season, like not really thinking about Alabama as a title contender. Like it's such a, because I I mean, I guess it was 07, like when he first showed up, because that like 08 team, like, like probably could have won a national title. Like it was as close as a, uh, like it was a lot of the same dudes from that 09 team just a year younger. So it's like, maybe that was the last year where people weren't like, Oh, this is an actual title contender, Alabama. So yeah, it's a, it's gotta be a sort of uncharted territory for me. It's certainly uncharted territory for the players who like, I mean, we're getting to where some of these dudes were born in like 05, 06. Yeah. So. It's, it's, it's depressing to look at the birth dates on a roster. I'm with you there. Yeah, no, it's like it's you, you start thinking about it, it's like, man, who were the like you you look back to your own childhood, it's like who's the first like guy you remember? For me, it's like you know, Reggie Bush kind of the that Reggie Bush Vince Young game, I think it's like Hebo, maybe after that. But for these dudes, it's like I is it, is it Jameis? Like I don't even want to think about it really. It's kind of nuts. Like literally some of these true freshmen like would have been about what, like seven years old when Jameis was going on that run, which is just kind of breaks your brain to think about who's going to play quarterback and how is that shaken out through camp? Oh boy. That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> they've not told us yet. And I mean, frankly, I'm getting really damn tired of writing about cakes 
which is the <laughs> analogy Nick Saban used at SEC Media Days, and we've have continued to shoehorn in the stories since then. But, you know, it's uh, – I mean, look, if I had to put money on it for week one, like who's going to be out there? Uh, Jalen Milrow. Uh, fortunately, I don't have to put any money on it. Because, like, that's it, – it's very much yet to be determined. Like, I, I wouldn't expect them to name a starter up until somebody just runs out there for the first drive. Uh, you know, you got – so you got Milrow, who was – Bryce's primary backup last season won the Texas A&M game. It cut barely, but uh, you got Ty Simpson, who was a five-star recruit, uh, redshirt freshman, who was sort of in the mix. Then they brought in with new uh, Tommy Reese, their new offensive coordinator, came over from Notre Dame. Uh, they brought over Tyler Buckner with him, uh, redshirt sophomore, uh, just. Had had was dealing with an injury most of last season, but came in and won the Gator Bowl against South Carolina. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it seems like he might be like Buckner might sort of be a skosh behind the others, just because like it, you'd think like oh this guy knows Tommy Reese's system a little bit better than some of these other guys, but like it's not the case. Like Tommy Reese doesn't get to implement his system wholesale at Alabama. They sort of run the Alabama system and then you put your twist on it if you're a coordinator there. So it, it sounds like Tyler's just a little bit behind everybody else or was a little bit behind everybody else as far as learning the Alabama system. Uh, and then, I mean, you got <laughs> heard good things about Dylan Lonergan, who's a freshman who hasn't really been, uh, I, I guess, hasn't really got the public word that he's really a starter candidate, but I've heard good things about. So I'd say Milrow for week one, uh, you know, by the time they play Ole Miss and by the time they get to the Iron Bowl, who knows, throw a dart at the roster. That's what I was going to ask next is, you know, kind of keeping up with it from afar. You read a lot about Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson and Buckner really doesn't get mentioned quite as much, but he's a guy that the offensive coordinator brought over from his previous program. But, like, would you categorize it as a two-horse race? I don't know that I'd categorize it as a two-horse race because, like, you know, you hear maybe Buckner's behind a little bit right now. So you almost, you'd take Milrow, maybe Simpson for that first first game or whatever. But, like, what happens when it's week six and somebody starts to struggle right. and Buckner's been there, like, sitting, you know, just learning, getting better, like, getting more – just engrossed in this system who, who knows then like it's a <laughs> like i hate to make i hate to really make any big declarations about this qb race because it, it, it really is just like we don't know uh i've got four stories pre-written uh ready for whoever <laughs> runs out there on game day so you know we'll see and, you know, it's interesting because Alabama in some ways, and particularly Nick Saban, is is probably, well, they're definitely used to it and they have prior experience with it. And he's probably somewhat comfortable with maybe letting it play out into the season a bit. I remember in 2015, which I guess was actually the year old Miss went over there and won, it was Jake Coker. There was a little bit of Cooper Bateman in the mix early on. And then I believe actually Blake Barnett started that game that night in Tuscaloosa where Ole Miss won. And it was, that was kind of out of left field, if my memory serves me correctly, in terms of Blake Barnett starting that game. And that was 
two, three games into the 2015 season. So they were still trying to kind of figure it out. You sound like, make it sound like they are pretty comfortable with they'll roll a starter out week one, but they'll still just kind of try to figure this thing out through the season's first couple of games. Yeah. Yeah. He's been very clear about that. That like the competition is not over when they name a starter. I mean, look, it's, it's Nick say I can cuss on this, right? Yes, you can swear. <laughs> yeah. Nick Saban changed his quarterback at halftime of the national fucking champion. <laughs> like <laughs> the dude, he'll make a change. Like it's, it's not going to be like, Oh, Jalen Milrow is our starter come hell or high water here. Like if there's somebody better than him, somebody better than him is going to play. Well, so yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see him start like three dudes through the course of the season. Like, he, it, it, literally nothing in this race will surprise me. And kind of doing the parallel back to those early Alabama teams where there was a little bit of quarterback uncertainty entering the season, those teams were built very differently. You're coming off an era where Alabama's had a pretty dynamic playmaker at quarterback for the last half decade or so. Will this offense look and be built any differently than we've been used to watching the last five to six years without a pretty established high profile quarterback? Will it be Alabama of old at all? What have you kind of seen and what do you think this offense will look like this year? Yeah, uh, Nick Saban's been pretty clear. He wants to like get back to sort of business running the ball. I mean, it's Nick Saban. You remember back in the day him doing the like, is this what we want college football to be bit about you know, running big spread off oh, and all of this. Yeah. And it was like, I mean, fine, we'll do it better than you. Like, <laughs> I mean, he was, he was just asking the question, like, is this really what we want to be? Cause like, I'll do it. Uh, at this point, I mean, you're starting to see, I, I think a little bit more like, cause the way defenses have sort of adapted to stop these more speed offenses, you know, uh, I think Richard Johnson uses the phrase lighter in the ass sort of on the defensive line and these linebackers here. Like, like I, I think you might – you're starting to already, but you'll see it sort of cycle back around, right? Like there's these light-ass linebackers in the middle. Let's just run the ball up there and make them stop us. Like, this would be a great time to have a Derrick Henry on the team. But, yeah, I mean, you look at what Tommy Reese was running at Notre Dame. It was a lot more, you know, tight ends in there and – all of that. And I, yes, you don't have Bryce Young anymore. And I think you watch a lot of Alabama games last season where he, like, clearly he was carrying, like, the team. And Texas I think an old Miss uh, game stuck out, particularly in terms of him just kind of willing them to a win. Yeah, exactly. And I think, uh, I think having an offense like that probably drives Nick Saban crazy. Right, he, he would love to run just the interchangeable parts offense, sure. whatever that looks like, <laughs> and just like have dudes everywhere that can go do this. Plus, I mean, one of the like you know, one of the issues that I think sort of slides under the radar outside Tuscaloosa is like they had some real issues with drops last season, and apparently that's continued a little bit in camp. Like, uh, I guess the now you never know what causes that. It's like the whole team just have the yips, like. Who knows? But yeah, I think they'd love to run the ball a bit more here. They got a couple running backs they think can be useful on that front. And I mean, frankly, there's worse college football offenses than just the run the ball behind J.C. Latham play. And for years when that was, you know, what they did and rode to, to multiple national titles, they were usually pretty overpowering up front on the offensive line. I didn't feel like that was as much the case last year. I feel like Bryce Young kind of masked a decent bit of flaws sometimes, particularly in pass protection. Is the offensive line going to be better this year? How do you kind of compare last year versus what you think this year might look like up front? 
I think so. I think there's just a little bit more experience. Like, you know, I mentioned JC Latham, who's like, I mean, might be the best offensive lineman in the league. Like there's a, there's an argument for it. He's really awesome over at right tackle. Uh, you know, they bring back, you know, Darian Delcourt's been like off and on injured and is actually moving from center to guard. I think they're going to run him out at the, that right guard spot there. So that's helpful. They got Steph McLaughlin back at center, who's very good. Um, the left side, they're moving uh, Tyler Booker, who was playing a lot of right guard when he played last season, sort of over there. Uh, he's very talented, I think, can take another step up. And then left tackle sort of a real question mark here. Uh, you got two, uh, Elijah Pritchett's a redshirt freshman. Uh, and then Caden Proctor is a true freshman, really highly touted recruit. So I think you'll, you'll see one of them. So that's the real question mark. But yeah, no, I think it's a, I, I think it'll be a fairly solid group. And they all seem fairly excited to maybe be doing a little more downhill run blocking this season. Defensively, they obviously they lose Will Anderson, but Alabama, I mean, I think kind of the the epitome of how well they've recruited and even with the question marks going into this year, you look at the 2020 class is ridiculous. It's just they just seem to complete completely robotically produce big dudes up front that disrupt things. That's I don't know. Yeah. Remember the last bad Alabama defensive line, you know, Mississippi product Jaheim Otis certainly going to play a factor on the interior. What is your biggest question mark about this defense and what do you think their biggest strength will be? Uh, biggest strength is having Dallas Turner. That helps. Uh, yeah, very. I mean, I mean, he's. It feels like he's already been around forever, but he's a junior, and now uh, he might not be around another season after this one. Right? This uh, NFL's been loving those edge rushers, but uh, yeah, he's over over on his side. He, he's great, and then um, I mean, on the other side, like. He's not Will Anderson, right? Like, nobody's really Will Anderson. But, I mean, Chris Braswell's not going to be bad at all coming off that other end. I wonder if he sort of – like, you remember Dallas Turner's freshman year. Like, he had eight and a half sacks. I mean, just in part, like, well, if you're going to block that, the freshman or Will Anderson, you're going to go try and block Will Anderson. Uh, I wonder if he benefits sort of in that way. He's, he's very good, though, very fast. The whole He was one hell of a Robin, and that helps a lot when you have a problem to deal with on one side and then the other guy's kind of an underrated problem. Yeah. You know, another good thing uh, I, you saw sometimes last season, I think maybe Pete Golden got a reputation for overcomplicating things. Uh, and, and they brought in – it's actually Saban's first defensive coordinator when he was at Alabama. They got Kevin Steele in there now who runs more of a – we have a bunch of five stars. We'll just let them go do five star things scheme, which really can work at Alabama because you do a bunch of five stars all over the place. So that'll be, you know, should I, I'm trying to think if there's a weak, like a real question mark comes to my head on this defense. I mean, they lost, uh, lost their safeties to the NFL. Uh, that's going to be tricky. I, you might see, you, you might see a true freshman back there at one of the safety spots in Caleb Downs, but the word is he can really, really play. So, uh, you know, it, it is, it's, it's one of those things where it is like an Alabama defense, you know, last year on the Missouri beat, I could, uh, I could name off like, you know, there's this weakness, there's a weakness in linebacker, there's a weakness on the defensive line, here's a weakness in the defensive backfield. Alabama, it's like, I mean, well, uh, will it be as good as Georgia's? Who knows? 
which is one hell of a bar to compare it to. Yeah. You mentioned the two new coordinators, and I guess I'll start with the defensive side of the football. I know you were on the Missouri beat last year, but Ole Miss obviously accepted Pete Golding as he was kind of shoot, shoot, shoot away from Alabama. And it's very interesting because he's very clearly a talented recruiter. You know, the stories of him getting the Alabama job was that he was very football smart, that famous whiteboard story where Saban's like, I'm not letting you leave the office. And Kiffin adopts the Saban philosophy of like, hey, you don't ever talk to coordinators except for like once a year. So we did get to hear him speak uh, about a week and a half ago. And most of those things last about eight to 10 minutes, usually pretty mundane. And his was 17 minutes of very thought provoking conversation, which was a very refreshing change. He's a very interesting guy to listen to talk football. I found him to be very honest. And I can tell where people, you know, closer to him, people that have worked for him in the building, what they mean by how smart he is football wise and a relatable person. But the sense you got coming in on the beat since he was replaced, how much of his reputation toward the end of Alabama was warranted in terms of the defensive woes and how much of it was just not meeting almost impossible expectations? Uh, I think it's probably some of both. Like, I mean, you look at that defense sometimes and it's like, like some folks on the beat have this thought that like Pete Golding would be a really, really good NFL defensive coordinator sort of dealing with professionals and you see that sometimes with dudes in the college level where it's like all right at some point you're gonna need to simplify some of this because like you got 18 year olds out there like at some you got five star 18 year olds out there at alabama maybe just tell them to like run in a straight line or cover somebody and like you'll probably be pretty good at that is when you start trying to get cute with it that maybe you run into trouble especially with some of the especially at a place like Alabama where like you're really really good talents out the door before they're seniors so you're constantly dealing with young guys out there but you know as for how much it's warranted like you know I, I don't know it was just a weird year for Alabama last season so it's like, was it a Pete Golding thing? Was it just like some guys weren't done cooking yet thing? Which, I mean, could go back to it. It's like, well, you had these guys who maybe weren't quite where they needed to be for your defense. So change the defense a little bit. Like, just make it easier on guys. I think they've really – it seems like they may have leaned into more of that with Kevin Steele. And the offensive side of it is interesting to me because, you know, Saban for the last few years has just taken whatever washed-up former head coach – often having two or three of them in the building at one time. It's kind of stuck them at offensive coordinator from Sark to Kiffin and, you know, everyone in between. This is going to be a little bit of a different look with Tommy Reese. I wouldn't say either one of these guys are inexperienced coordinators by any stretch of the imagination. They're probably some of the most experienced coordinators in college football. They just haven't had that typical windfall cycle of failed head coach. Let's go work for Saban and then go back to it, which is a little bit of a different look. What is the sense you get about what Saban and how much trust he has in the two coordinators? Because that's something I think Kiffin's dealt with. I, I think he very clearly trusts Pete Golding a lot more than he did Chris Partridge. And you can tell it when the way he talks. What's kind of the sense you've gotten with Saban on these two new guys at coordinator he seems like he's really excited about it and he's talked a lot about you know tommy reese is 31 now he was 28 when he got the oc job at notre dame and uh saban seems like he really really believes in that offensively it's gonna be an interesting question with tommy reese this season because i mean you very clearly saw the limitations at notre dame like what that can be like i I don't think anybody on the old miss podcast can get mad at me for saying i don't think notre dame like i don't think the program ceiling is a national title sure they're always gonna sort of run into like some of the restrictions, some of which they've like self-imposed on themselves 
there, but it's like, you know, that offense has had its struggles the last few seasons under him. And I think from the outside looking in, you're about to see like, well, was that a Tommy Reese issue or was that a Tommy Reese didn't have the dudes and really couldn't do what he wanted uh, issue. And I mean, clearly he left his alma mater to move to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Like it's a, uh, it, it, I, I think if he really, really believed in what was at Notre Dame, like he'd still be at Notre Dame, right? Like, I mean, he's a Chicago area guy who spent a lot of years living in South Bend. Like you don't just up and move to Alabama unless you think it's clearly, clearly a better opportunity for you. And, you know, it's, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. There's, a, there's so much we'll see with this team yeah. like that. I, I mean, not to, if Nick Saban's hearing this, I am not disrespecting Middle Tennessee State. I'm a, I'm a conference USA respecter <laughs> here, but <laughs> you're not going to find out a lot of these answers till they hit the Texas game. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Tommy Reese thing you described very well, I think it's similar to what we saw play out with Brian Kelly and why he left for LSU. I think he realized everything you just talked about. It's like, maybe the ceiling here is it national title and these self-imposed restrictions. And maybe they do kind of suck. Maybe let's go somewhere more lawless like Baton Rouge and let's get (laughs) things done. I, I, I totally agree with that. Last thing I really got for you is receiver wise. We've been used to Alabama having a crop of just absurd receivers and you know, Jermaine Burton returns. There's some names on here, but it's not as seemingly as established as the receiving core as we've seen in years past. You mentioned them having the drops, the yips. I don't know if maybe they could sacrifice an animal in practice. I don't know what they do to get over that. But how confident do they sound in terms of who whoever the quarterback is who will be throwing the football to? Uh, that's a that's a big we'll see. I mean, the re- the real thing, like like Jermaine Burton, like if I had to call a number one receiver on this team, probably Jermaine Burton. Yeah. It's, it's, an, it's another we don't really know these things because uh, we don't get to watch any practice ever. Uh, but, yeah, no, the big thing is going to be like whoever it is, just catch the damn ball. Like if it hits you in the hands, catch it. And you saw it so often last season where it'd be like Bryce Young would make a pretty good throw and you just clang off of somebody's hands. And that just can't happen. I mean, you don't have Bryce Young this year to sort of magician you out of these situations. So uh, whether it's Jermaine, whether it's whoever else, like it's just catch the ball. And I'm, you know, it seems like Nick Saban's maybe a little more confident than at times last season. But, I mean, you still hear about these drops happening, and they shouldn't be happening. Uh, if I had to if I had to point out a guy, it's like, here's somebody you might not have heard of to uh, that could make a contribution this season. They brought in um, got Malik Benson from Hutchison Community College in Kansas. I think he was like one of the top one or top three or whatever JUCO players in America. Uh, apparently fast as hell. So if he can if he can bring a few passes and that that'd be that that'd be a guy I could see making a making an impact here. And the more and more you describe it, I mean, with two senior running backs and Roydell Williams and Jace McClellan, it really does maybe sound like they're with that maybe without a choice to some degree going back to kind of the Alabama of old and leaning more heavily on the running game. Last thing, as far as like prediction wise, how do you think this season actually plays out? If you had to put over under a win total, what do you think happens with the tide this year? Oh boy, it's one of those. It's it's one, it's the, okay. So we always use like high ceiling, low floor. It's a high ceiling, low floor here, I think by Alabama standards. Cause like, could I like, could I go through the schedule? Like here, I'll pop open the schedule right now. I don't even have it 
in front of me, but uh, I was literally just doing the exact same thing. Yeah, let's let's, let's, I, let's let's play this little schedule game here. Like, what's a losable game? Texas, losable game. Um, going to Texas A and M, losable game. Uh, Tennessee, pretty clearly a losable game, even though it's in uh, Tuscaloosa this year. Uh, LSU, losable game. What's that? What's that four. What else we got? I. Shit, like you're going to Auburn. Weird shit happens at Auburn. Uh, <laughs> and never yeah. bet against year one Hugh Freeze. I've said it a million times on this show. <laughs> I saw what he did with that 2012 Ole Miss team with the talent at his disposal. I, he can accomplish anything in year yeah. one from there. It's whatever, but uh, I agree. Yeah. I think that's totally a losable game as well. So it's like that's there's five right there. Not to not to insult your Ole Miss audience. I don't I don't see them losing that game. Especially I just got to see Ole Miss first. You mentioned a bunch of Will C's. I think there's a case where Ole Miss could be pretty good, but I just I I, I got to see it. I don't know enough about the team. Yeah. There's too much new. It's also really early in the season. So exactly. Like, hey, maybe like could you beat them week nine? Sure. Is it going to happen week three? I don't see it. But uh, what else? Yeah. So looking at it, that's five losable games. Are they going to lose five games? I don't think so. Uh, like. Could I see him losing two games again and finishing like just out of the like college football playoff? Yeah, absolutely. Like that's probably to me that's a more realistic look at where it's at. But it's like, could Nick Saban also run the table, go fifteen and zero, and win another national title, and we all look like jackasses? Yeah, like that's <laughs> that's possible. Like they're not they're not out of national title contention by any stretch of the imagination. And the three toughest games, as we just went through the schedule piece, if you describe it, is like the three toughest games I think I would say are Texas, LSU, and I'll give Tennessee the nod over at AM just because I want to see the Bobby Petrino experiment first. Maybe <laughs> Auburn, but I just can't get there yet with Freeze. All three of those games are at home. So if you're making the case that it does turn out well and they do return to the college football playoff, that certainly works in their favor. So it's it's going to be a fascinating year, and I'm I'm very interested in Alabama in probably a lot different of a way than I have been, you know, for most of the Saban area and certainly the last seven years or so, man. I appreciate the time. Last yeah. thing, Cordy, we asked the important questions of the show. What was it like being a uh, Western Kentucky grad on the Mizzou beat? Did you just lie and tell people you went to Mizzou J School? No, I, I, uh, okay. I'll tell, I'll tell you a story from SEC media day. Okay. Cause I, I, I very much like, I, I just sort of run what I'll admit to being a bit on the internet where I'm like, just pretend Western Kentucky is this national power in all things, which it is a pretty good journalism school. Yeah. But, uh, so I'm at media days this week and there's, you know, you run into a zillion Mizzou grads all over the place and so we're at this bar in nashville and some tv guy <laughs> who, uh, who apparently one of my friends told or sort of got telephoned back to him matt went to mizzou <laughs> <laughs> so this guy comes up to me we've, we've all had a few drinks in there and he goes matt m-i-z i go fuck you <laughs> and he, he looked like i had shot his dog like the guy just <laughs> just aghast <laughs> It was, it, I looked at I realized like oh this guy like actually thought I was a Mizzou grad I think I really <laughs> broke this dude's brain a little bit here but yeah no it was it was a fun time you know um 
you run it. it it really is a pretty good journalism school like i'll uh, i'll make fun of it all day for sort of sniffing its own farts in that metric but like you run into some good kids from there and i mean there's some folks on the beat who were really really awesome so i you know i just saw i guess yesterday dave matters leaving the st louis post dispatch but yeah dudes like that dudes like you uh over at rivals you got gabe Armand at power mizzou just like firmly kicking my ass on every single story so that was a it, it was a good learning experience even though i mean spent the entire time freezing cold because i'm from tennessee and missouri is much much colder than tennessee <laughs> That was the uh, perfect answer. I have several friends that went to Mizzou J school. I just like to poke fun at them. And like you said, smelling their own farts about it, but uh, that's a hilarious story. I really appreciate the time. I've had. this was a lot of fun. Maybe we'll do it again, Alabama week, but thanks for joining the show. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me. All right. Appreciate Matt's time. We're going to go to Brian Haydad here in just a second. But before we do, wanted to take a quick break to remind that this podcast is now brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea, packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol, and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that go down goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion. Hell yeah, I added that part. Especially when you're cheering for your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate the game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experiences. Twisted Tea, a drink that feels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. After a summer hiatus, Skybox is back. They're ready to full go for football season. They're already posting analysis on the site. To celebrate the return of football season, if you use the promo code FOOTBALL23, you get 50% off any package now through the first kick of the NFL, that Thursday night game coming up in two weeks. And also, if you use promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, you get 20% off any purchase. Just go online to skyboxsportspicks.com, find a picks package, and try it for a day, a week, a month. I recommend going with the year-long all-access pass, college football, pro football, whatever the case may be. Pick your package. They'll send your picks in a nice color-coded spreadsheet each week, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. Make your football season a profitable one this year. Don't lose money based off your own liens. Go with the professionals, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, it's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now it's three, six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation you're getting for 20 bucks. It's prime grilling season. Summer's winding down. Go take advantage of that now. Then go find all your own favorites at LB's. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of sausages, fresh seafood, different cuts of meat. I like the tri-tips. The filet burgers are always a favorite. Go find your own favorites at the best butcher shop in the world. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Brian Haydad on the 2023 Mississippi State Bulldogs and what to expect. All right, we now welcome on my former co-worker, possibly my father, but we never did a uh, paternity test there, still pending. Brian Haydad covers Mississippi State for Super Talk. You're sitting in the Super Talk studios. I've already gotten a laugh out of you. It's like 2019 all over again. 
We don't need that. T- I see that facial hair coming in, so I, it's obvious. You're a hate ad. I've been working on this uh, for a couple years now. Looks great. You'll get there any day now. I and know. married, I hear. March 23rd of next year in Hot Springs, if you want to come bet on some horses and crash the sucker. You know, my wife's birthday is the next day. So, yeah, I'll be there. Sure. Hell yeah. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Uh, perfect timing. What is going on on your end? You're in the Super Talk studios. You just finished up the Friday show. I guess it is the last non-football Friday. Or do y'all count week zero? I'll watch I'm week zero. W- it doesn't count to me, though. I'm a week zero counter. I, I okay. count week zero. The college football season begins this weekend. I will be locked into Vanderbilt, Hawaii, just like I will to Alabama LSU. So I like it, and I will watch most all day tomorrow, and I'm excited that football's on. But for whatever reason, the season doesn't kickstart in my brain until I get some crappy Big East or ACC football game on that first Thursday night where we overreact to whatever team won. Well, we got you know Florida-Utah this Thursday. I'm excited. Yeah, oh. I'll be in Oxford on Thursday, too, so that's very exciting. So I'll, I'll miss the first half of, of that driving back, but it is what it is. Yeah, that is a good one. I forgot we had that. Remember last year we had a – it was the backyard brawl. It was. it was like a terrible football game. It was like, ah, oh, could Pitt do it? Until the year. end. Like, yeah, actually, great they suck. fourth quarter. Great fourth It was quarter. awesome. Yeah. So that's kind of the way my brain works. I will tune into week zero. What is the – I saw like the marquee game on ESPN. Is it like New Mexico State and somebody? or <laughs> New Mexico State and UMass. That's what I'm talking about. That's really what gets me going uh, and ready for yeah. football. We got, we got Notre Dame, though. My, my other handsome young son, Tyler Horka, is over in Dublin right now. Uh, covering that game for uh for one three, I believe. That's a pretty good gig. If I ever went over there, yeah. I'd just dress in green and peep like shit a leprechaun. Um, I thought I'd like a free trip to Dublin. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. Y'all need to get uh, you need to talk. If you had Selman on the podcast, you need to be like, look, man, I, have- I need a European vacation. Let's let's work something out here. No, in my luck, you know, it'd be like we we've scheduled a game in Europe, Brian, and we're going to send you to cover it. Great, where is it? The Ukraine, <laughs> Uzbekistan. Yes. Learn yes. Turkish, pal, and it's not that safe, so make sure you have people around you at all times. Don't, don't worry. I know how to say, don't shoot, I'm Canadian in Arabic. <laughs> It'll be all right. I think you probably survive okay. Yeah. Mississippi State, they have southeastern Louisiana year one, or excuse me, week one, not year one. I don't think that game is going to last. It is year, year one, though. It's year one for Zach Arnett. It is year one for Zach Arnett, and it's a very interesting dynamic. A lot of the voters, which I don't even really know if that can be a topic of conversation nowadays, because now it's just turned into what what jackass voted Vanderbilt to win the East or something. I just I paid I pay, I didn't value it at the time. Now I don't even pay any attention at all. But it's a team with a lot of returning experience, but a lot of inexperience at head coach, which seems to have people doubting them. It's a very strange juxtaposition. What is the kind of vibe you get? As well, far first as off, are, are we allowed to curse on this? Oh, yeah. We can say whatever oh. you want. There's no FCC here. Those guys are dorks. Well, shit. There uh, we go. <laughs> it's 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 weird in that I, I've said this a bunch of times. I think if Leach were still here and this was year four of Will Rogers in the air raid and everything was sort of, sort of still normal, I think this team would be getting a lot of top 25 buzz because they return so many. They have guys as old as you playing college football. I mean – Buki Watson and Jet Johnson are, are, are Jaden Crumman. These guys are 24, 25 year old guys. They should be in the NFL and they're still playing college football. Will Rogers is, is the, you know, the most experienced quarterback in college football. I think he has the only quarterback who has more starts than him in the SEC is Jaden Daniels. So if we're talking about SEC starts, though, it's Will Rogers. 
So the fact that they aren't getting a lot of this is the kind of teams that state wins with is, you know, they never have five star guys. So it's like they have to have experience guys who've done everything and they've come back for that last go round. That's when states at their best. So I think this is going to be a pretty good Mississippi State team. And it just shows that people don't actually do any research or pay any attention because even if you are conflicted on the whole viewpoint and you're like, eh, I'm still not sold on the inexperience on the coaching outfit, you get eight games at Davis Wade Stadium. How many people that voted do you think looked into that piece of it? I mean, just the sheer fact that there are eight home games and only four times Mississippi State is playing away from home. Granted, some of those road games are toss-ups, which is fascinating to me. But like the sheer fact you get eight games at home would lend in your favor anyway, even if you're an inexperienced head coach. Yeah, and I would say all four of those games on the road are toss-ups, to be honest. I mean, South Carolina, Auburn, Arkansas. I mean, I think State has got a better team right now than Auburn. I think State can beat Arkansas again. They have, for the most part, over the last decade. A&M State's had their number recent years as well. But you have eight home games, but two of them are LSU and Alabama. So, you you know, six and two is the that's your absolute ceiling, you would think. But, yeah, there's eight home games, and there's there the, the, the non-conference games are all winnable. And State beat Arkansas and beat Texas A&M and beat Auburn last year. And they beat Ole Miss last year. And it's like the the, the thing that we keep bringing up is this. Is it feels like everybody else in the West can get the benefit of the doubt, but State can't. Like somebody, somebody, I, I had Tom Hart on and he mentioned A&M. And I, I, I didn't question him on it and I should have. But he, he mentioned A&M and Arkansas. And I was just like, Tom, State beat those teams last year. Like why, why, are, why are we just assuming that they're going to be better than Mississippi State? When State beat them easily last season, State won the Egg Bowl. State won beat uh, beat Auburn as well. They were four. And, they were what f- uh, four and two against the West last year. They lost to LSU and Alabama. You know the, the the Kentucky game was a stain on last year's season. Kentucky was not a good team. State played terribly and lost that game. But that you know everybody gets you know everybody outside of Georgia and and, and Ohio State you get one game where you just you're not that great. States was against Kentucky, so. I give this state team the benefit of the doubt. I like Arnett. You would like Arnett too. He is, he is just a a, a, a shit kicker. I mean, he is. I just, like that. Yeah, he, is he a doctor. He, <laughs> he, he could be. Okay. He could be. Yeah. He he is. He's a. He is. He and Leach are similar in that they're really no nonsense guys, but they couldn't be more different. If you ask Leach a question, you know, just strap in. You don't know where that question was going to go. <laughs> Yeah. You just you got just along for the ride. Arnett gets you to point A to point B. He's the straight line guy, you know, and he he's got no problem telling you when his team is crap either. If they've had a bad day on the practice field, you're gonna know. It, and you it, to wrap up like that piece of it too. You mentioned like state not getting the benefit of the doubt, but that would probably be the case of Leach for there if it were anyone yes. other than an internally promoted first year head coach. Yes. Yeah, somebody threw that out. They were like, you know, Zach Arnett would not be the head coach at any other SEC school, which is probably true. But you could say that for a lot of promotions, right? A lot of times when the the coordinator, whoever gets promoted, nobody else would hire that guy. He got promoted because he was there at the the time. And it was a situation where state needed immediate stability because they had a tragedy that had literally not happened in college football in, in a couple of decades. And they they needed somebody to get them through it, and they they brought they, they felt I felt Arnett was on the path to be a head coach anyway. He had done a really good job at state in the defense. I thought that maybe next year he'd be at a group of five school, but they felt he was the right guy for the job, and they felt like they needed stability more than anything else. And then he went out and he put, assembled a pretty good staff. He signed a pretty good signing class. He kept it, that class together, didn't lose hardly anybody, 
It won the bowl game. So, I mean, the early returns on Arnett are good. You mentioned the the Tom Hart piece of it. Are people really doing the A&M thing again? I'm not <laughs> guaranteeing you they're going to be terrible, but I don't know how you can do the preseason A&M thing again after these last several years. Again, they could be okay. Maybe he lets Petrino do his thing, he being Jimbo, but I got to see it first. I, I can't do yeah. this again. I have I have decided this is my last time go around with them on giving them the benefit of the doubt. I Are you them, doing uh, it too? I gave them I put them third in the West on my uh, my preseason ballot. How dare I, you! I am not a Vanderbilt for first place ballot. I try to actually make a a ballot that is reflects what I actually believe. Uh, I, I I I just see the talent and I look I like Connor Wiegman. I think he's he's a good quarterback, and I, I I'm just going to buy into the idea that they're going to let Petrino cook. And if he's calling the plays, they should be fine. But I'll know pretty early. They play Miami week two, I think, week three. They go down to South Beach and lay a stinker. Well, then we can all settle bit settle in for the for the train wreck. And it will be a glorious train wreck as yeah, well. Yeah, $90 million that, one. And if you look at their schedule after that game, if they lose that game, like four of the next five weeks, it could get real, real, real south for them very quickly. I was looking at that the other night for reasons that I don't remember, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Could be uh could be tough sledding for them there. Will Real Rogers make it through 12 games as the starting quarterback if he's healthy? There's a lot of talk about the system transition. Maybe some of it's overblown, maybe some of it is warranted. I don't think he was a perfect quarterback by any means in his first three years. It seemed like kind of the reviews, at least from the fan base, was a little bit mixed. Very experienced, tough kid, though. Seems like a good leader. Will he make it all 12 games if he's healthy? Yeah, no, no question about it. This is his team 100 percent uh, the 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 whispers that I get from practice from people tell me that he's done a great job adapting to this new offense. This this new offense isn't going to be the, the culture shock some people have made it out to be. I think some people think State's about to go two tight ends, go under center, power eye formation. They're going to be in the shotgun 95% of the time. I mean, that that's straight from Kevin Barbe, the offensive coordinator. Um, are there going to be some some things that they didn't do before? Yeah, they'll be in the pistol some. They'll be in, they'll go under center some. They'll be a tight end on the field. State had to go out and get two of those guys in the portal because they literally didn't have one on the roster. But you know the, the offense. There's a ton of air raid concepts to it, and they're just going to be a little heavier on the run game. Which if you watch State play last year, that's when they were at their best was when they ran the football and they tried to have a little bit more balance. Uh, you know, Leach Leach always said that balance was just being able to do whatever you wanted. It was not necessarily doing the same thing you know having 50 50 or whatever it's just like can i run that i have balance but he he wouldn't actually run sometimes i I go back to the egg bowl state's going to lose that football game if it doesn't start raining like that rain forced them into more of a running game and that Ole Miss couldn't stop that running game and that's how state won that and and then you know the 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 weird two-point play so uh, this year you know state is as like I said, they've recruited some tight ends. They have five running backs. They they like they like they have a feel like they have a good deep running back room. And so it's going to be it's going to look different. But Will Rogers will be the constant in that. I'll be amazed if he's not the all time leading passer in SEC history by the time we get to the end of the season. The only case I could make for it is that Will Rogers does not run at all, and that right. was something in the air raid which was mostly fine. You didn't really need him to. And not that I haven't watched a ton of App State and Kevin Barbet. I watched a decent amount of their games last year. They played on a lot of weeknights, which helped. And didn't look like any of the quarterbacks were overly mobile. Was he there? Was it a Chase Bryce year? Chase Bryce, yeah. And they, they, didn't, they didn't run much. State's brought in Mike Wright from Vanderbilt to give them that. that... So that's what I'm curious about. Is yeah, like th- 
they, they've got some packages and play calls. You know, I don't know if Wildcat's the right word uh, for it anymore, but he'll play. Um, and I think he's he's improved a lot as a pass. Like, I'll be honest, Rippy, after the spring game, I, I would just I just thought, boy, if Rogers gets hurt. Yeah, I was like, Rogers get hurt. This is gonna be a train wreck. It'll be four and eight. And he's gotten a lot better over the summer and fall. Uh, fall, it's still 125 degrees outside. Uh so I, I feel better about him, but he's definitely gonna have some some play. And there's gonna be some plays where they're both on the field, which I'm looking forward to seeing how those all those turn out. But when state state's going to have some looks where Wright comes in, gives you some zone read, gives you some option plays, but he can also throw the football and, and, and keep the full offense uh, in, in play. There was a lot of talk when Leach first got to Mississippi state about like the offensive line struggles because of the air raid offensive line is a little bit different. Well, now they're going back the other way. What have the coaches said about the transition back to a more, whatever that is traditional offensive lineman? Is it really that yeah. big of a difference? What have you kind of learned? Yeah, you know, I think about the office. Like, I had a vasectomy, then I had it reversed. <laughs> it's it's the same thing here. Snip, snap, snip, snap, snap, snip, snap. So the the first thing you have to remember is with you know state's offensive linemen. Like uh, Percy Lewis went to McAdams High School. Cole Smith went to Pontotoc. Uh, Cam Jones went to Starkville. I'm trying to think of my Lasoya's from out of state. Who's the other player that I'm missing? It, it doesn't matter. Um, they they played. They, they grew up their whole lives running the football. Right, running, running, and the offensive line kind of go hand in hand, right? It's just put your hand in the ground and, and be stronger than the guy in front of you. That is the absolute. That's the crux of run blocking. Uh, when we've talked to the offensive linemen, they all seem to they're enjoying it more, you know, because even when State ran the ball, defensive linemen knew that they could just put their hand in the ground and, and come full speed because State was usually passing the ball, and so you never when you're a defense an offensive lineman, you're always backpedaling. It, it was just a pain. Now, it was great two years ago when you had Charles Cross, one of the best offensive linemen State's ever produced, and he could handle that. But it's tough. It's tough when, you know, the other team knows what you're going to do. Now that State doesn't have that, State's going to be more balanced. They'll be more unpredictable. They're going to they're gonna you know, do a lot more with motion. They're going to disguise a lot of things. Um, and the offensive line, from what I can tell, seems to be making that transition. It is a transition, but you got to remember, I think – Four of state's starting offensive linemen were not recruited by Leach. They were recruited by either uh, Mullen or Moorhead, and there's still Mullen players on this team. Dollar Bill Johnson is one of those. That is kind of nuts to think about. That shouldn't yeah. be allowed. Like, <laughs> yeah, Tom should not be allowed to work that way. I'm trying to think. I wondered, is, would there be a guy? There's not a freeze recruit left. That's yeah. what you're asking. I, there's you know, no way because his freeze was out. Freeze 16. Freeze well, well. Freeze would have signed the class of seventeen. Yes. Is there, is there nobody left from that? Because Mullen left the next year. Mullen would have would have uh, he was gone, but he oh. got most of the class of eighteen recruited. Who's the kid? Uh, who's the kid that Ole Miss had last year that still has another year of eligibility, but he left to go to Utah? Miles Battle. I think that was a Freeze kid. That might be the last. That might have been the last one then. That might have been it. That might have been yeah. the COVID exception that broke our brains. I'm yeah. pretty sure. He was a freeze kid. I'll double check that. Dollar Here's Bill Johnson was was a Mullen. He signed. He signed. He was committed to Mullen, but he signed with Moorhead. No, uh, Battle was not. He no. played at Ole Miss from eighteen to twenty-two. Okay. I'm going to go okay. look at that tonight and try to find it. Here's a great. There might be one of homework. Here's yeah. a great investigative piece for you. Okay. They didn't have a tight end on the roster during the Leach era. 
Right. Did they have to make them a new tight end room? Did they have to go put the nameplate back on there? Did they have to go like, here's your room? You get to use this again? What's that like? I haven't asked that question. I need to get Rylan Goatee on the uh, Thunder and Lightning podcast. He has his own podcast. He's creeping in on my territory. I don't like that. Um, But, yeah, that's basically it. For the spring – the, the two guys State got out of the portal, speaking of snip-snap and going back and forth, Jaquarius Spivey, who was at State, uh, Leach's first year, but then he left because he realized, I'm never going to play because I'm a tight end. Now he's back. So he's back. Where did he go in between? He went to Arizona State, and then he played for TCU last year. He played in the national championship game. And came back to State. And came back to State. That What a wild ride that is. Uh, that's incredible. And then Ryland Goaty who went to Georgia, and he might be the third best tight end in America. But he was behind <laughs> Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington, yeah, so nobody that's a knows. tough one. <laughs> that's a tough one. So they had them. But for the spring, Rippy, they had to move guys into tight end. So they moved a defensive lineman, they moved a receiver, and they moved an offensive lineman. Was to that less to make them tight ends, but just to be able to run the scheme? For There's the a little bit of both. Har- Antonio okay. Harmon is the receiver. He has stayed at tight end. Jacarius Clayton is the defensive lineman. He stayed at tight end. Malik Ellis, the offensive lineman, has gone back to the offensive line. Okay. That's fascinating. That would suck to be a guy who's not going to play in the spring and be, hey, we need you to run tight end. Coach, I don't play tight end. Are you switching my position? No, no, we're not. We just need this for spring. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically – Kind of what what it was with Malik Ellis though he was a he was a true freshman coming in for his first spring so they were like look if this doesn't work it's not going to stunt your development to spend one spring doing this you're going to redshirt anyway so you're you'll be fine but Clayton is actually Clayton was a 300 pound defensive lineman he's down to like 230 he looks I mean he looks like he's been sick he's lost so much weight crazy yeah. That's what happens to those guys when they leave football. I saw Sean yes. Rawlings not too long ago. I think maybe in the Grove. And I knew him a little bit in high school. And we became pr- pretty decent friends. And I was like, wait a minute, who the hell is this guy? What happened to you? It's like, I thought you played football. Kid, guy was down to like 220. Like, and didn't like look bad. It just, you're right. It's almost like, did you have an illness? What happened? I thought you were this big beefy dude. Um, So biggest concern for state defensively. Linebacker should be pretty set. Yeah. Seems like they lost a little bit secondary wise. What would be your biggest concern that, for state defensively? They lost a little bit more than a little bit. They lost four starters out of five. That'll uh, hurt, including Emmanuel Forbes. Obviously, it was a first round pick. Um, and they lost all three starting safeties. They bring back one cornerback to Cameron Richardson, who didn't have a pick last year. It's the craziest thing. You would think nobody would throw at Emmanuel Forbes last year, but nobody threw it to Cameron Richardson, and Emmanuel Forbes had six picks. Um, wow. yeah, it was really, really odd coaching in there but state that's where state has done its most work in the portal they have the last two classes really stockpile guys back there they've got transfers from alabama from kentucky from michigan from florida state all working out and from miami trying to find their way um and i won't be surprised if maybe three of the five starters are former transfers i think for sure marcus banks the transfer from alabama will start i think uh uh, Hunter Washington, a transfer from Florida State, has a good chance to start. Jacoby Albert, who was who played at Kentucky last year, he's actually played SEC football, was on track to start, but he's he's been battling some injuries in camp. So we'll see if he's a uh, he's healthy. But that's where they've 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 done the most work in the transfer portal is getting guys into the secondary, and that's that's going to pay off this year. It looks like. 
There's a Ole Miss is similar in that regard. They brought in a ton of guys. Golding identified that as a place where they didn't have much depth and hell lost a couple of starters. They brought in eternal portal guys for secondary and so did LSU. I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if that's a phenomenon, but if you were an experienced veteran quarterback in the SEC, <laughs> there's a, there's definitely some question marks at the secondary. It seems like across the SEC West. What's a, what's the kicker looking like? You know, I, my guy Cruz Goose came on the podcast. Yeah, last year. I fascinating this. interviews. We'll I see him next year. I've ever done. Kid was a, he, a buddy of mine. Is, he's from the same hometown as my agent buddy, Michael Porter. He's like, what do you think of him? And I was like, I don't know what he's going to be successful at, but he will be successful as something. I don't know what yeah. it's going to be. He's um, got the right mindset. being a ninja, mentality. but he will be awesome at something. He told me he's not playing football this year. So I assume if he's not on the roster, he's not allowed to kick. I did make yeah. that deduction. What's that? <laughs> Who's kicking for state this year? So they brought in a transfer from UCLA and he had a really good spring and looked good in the spring game. But that's another one who's been battling injuries in a, oh, is that a tiny bomb? Oh yeah. Ah. It's Friday, baby. It's Friday I, evening. I still drink those. You got, you got me onto those. Uh, that happened at the same SEC tournament. I drank one for the first time too. That we, yeah. I think it happened at the same time. So yeah. that's, that's what happened to great, me too. Great story from that one is where we were, we were on the air and they started playing the national anthem. And as soon as we stood up, I was like, oh God, Richard's taking a knee. And <laughs> his mom texted him. His mom was like, did you take a knee? <laughs> the text line just blew up as he was like, what did he say? Did Richard take a knee? And, <laughs> people, you'd be surprised at what people believe. Y'all y'all yeah. had that longstanding Bernie Sanders supporter bit. And then Borky texted me one time. I was like, I had a couple of people in the office that are like, is he really a big leftist <laughs> like Bernie guy? And <laughs> Borky was like, no, it's a joke. Yeah, it's a bit. Like I should have walked back in the office one day and said, like, I've come to redistribute the wealth. I would like to make a couple hundred K, uh, you know, <laughs> I've come once again to ask you for a raise. Yeah. I'm uh, not asking for a raise. I'll just be taking it. Bernie yeah. Sanders said, if you're doing better than me, I can take your stuff. There you so, go. That and Dr. Harden. Those were good times. <laughs> Dr. Harden, the, uh, the, the, the snip snap specialist. Yes, yes. That is literally the hardest I ever laughed on the show with you is when, because we both heard it. We both looked at the camera at each other and we're like, wait a minute. What did you say the name of your neurologist? <laughs> say that was? one more time. Say just it one the more way time, you said Richard. It. And he goes, Dr. Harden. And that was it. We didn't talk for like two more minutes. We could we couldn't speak. And he like uh, didn't get it. He's like, What's so funny? I'm like, Yeah, the guy that snipped you, his name is Dr. Harden. You know Today he was on the show talking about uh SMU's helmets, and he's talking about how I like the ones that have the D. They got a D and there's a horse coming. And I was just like, I just started snickering. <laughs> And in the break, he's like, what did I miss? I was like, what I took from that segment is that Richard likes the D. And he's he just like, you, so pissed you off pervert. That's <laughs> like, it's great to be 12. Anyway, so it looks like it might be a true freshman kicker. His name is Kyle Ferry. He was a, uh, I, I don't know how they rank kickers, right? 24-7 doesn't really rank kickers. So well, Ogoos was one of the top-rated kickers. He's exactly, not playing this year. They have their own website for it. It's <laughs> like they just made up a kicker database, and they go from there. This guy was highly rated. It looks like he's going to be – so State may have to be throwing a true freshman out there. That's that's interesting. It's a little concerning because, we you know, when the pressure's on, we'll see how he has to do. Yeah, that is always a fascinating piece that never gets talked about. I would uh, recommend regularly drug testing him. We'll misrain into some issues there. Um, <laughs> oh, I got, a, I got a good story here for you. Okay. It, it involves Leach. Uh so I, for your listeners, you might not know the night before Leach passed away, he was at my house. He was at my, uh, my Christmas You're, party. I remember this. Yeah. So state got a, a commitment and a signature 
from a punter from Australia at uh, the before signing day. So this the party was it was before signing day. So this kid's committed to state. His name is Keelan Crimmins. He's going to be state. Looks like he's going to be state starting punter this year. So Paul Jones, who runs the old uh, the, the Mississippi State twenty four seven site, is at my party. He's like, I've been trying to call this guy, but because of the time difference, I can never get up with him. I don't really know what time it is. So he calls him. And the guy answers the phone, and of course, he's from Australia, so I can't really. He's like, Hey, hey, how you doing, mate? It's it's yeah. You know, that's more English, I know, but. Yeah, I'm down under. I can't do an Australian accent. Yeah. So hard Paul Jones is from Grenada originally, right? You have never heard two competing accents go at it like this. Paul, this like slow. So uh, what? What was the reason why are we com- committed to Mississippi State? And so the guy gives it. And so Leach shows up, and Paul asks him about this guy, and he's just going, he's like, "Oh my god, you know." He's just trying to tell a story about this guy and how he recruited him and how he he, he got in contact with him, and he's just like. He's the crazy guy. I can't wait to see what he can do. It, it was really funny. That but, is amazing. That, yeah. Paul trying to tell talk to this guy. It was 6 in the morning, by the way. It was 9, a, 9 p.m. at my house, and it was 6 a.m. in Australia. The guy just happened to be awake and answered his phone. <laughs> so I just looked it up as you told that story because it's not a normal time difference. It is 9.37 a.m. there now, and it's 6.37 yeah. p.m. there. Yes. I, I don't really get it. I thought you were about to tell me – a similar to like a Lane Kiffin story where he got asked about the punter last year. He was like, don't know anything about him. Think we yeah. got him from a frat house, which was not actually the case, but Kiffin yes. knew so little about him. He was like, yeah, I think we just picked him up on fraternity. Leach had some some knowledge of Keelan Crimmins, the Australian. I'm glad State's going with the Australian. But I remember Ole Miss had that guy that you were enamored with a couple of years ago. Mac. Was his, oh, Mac, Mac Brown. Brown. Yeah. Um. So, Bad boy yeah. Mac Brown, really exactly uh, all around guy throwing bombs, throwing touchdowns in the is that the XFL? Yeah, it got to be the yeah. XFL. Throwing bombs, had him on the podcast recently. Actually, funny punter story. The guy before Mac Brown was a guy named Will Gleason. He was Australian. Yeah, that's I think the I've told okay, this story okay. on the show before, but I was that's doing it. I was working in house for the athletic department. I was doing a story on Gary Wonderwick, pretty good kicker for Ole Miss, couple of years. He's a senior. I so I interviewed Gleason. For the story on Wonderwick, because they were the kicking battery. I think Gleason was the holder. And I was like, if he pulls a hammy, like, can you, like, are you stepping in? Like, who's the next in line? And he just goes, how nah, mate, can't kick for shit. Like, okay, fair enough. Pretty straightforward. <laughs> At least he was Wonder- honest about Will it. Will Gleason noted only punter. He, he did not even entertain the idea of being able to kick a football off the ground. And I was like, they don't do that in Aussie rules football. He goes, I don't watch that. I was like, fair enough, man. So. Well, I, I hope to have similar interactions with uh, with Keelan Crimmins. Uh, well, he is uh, from the land down under. He has to be interesting. Before I let you get out of here, i got to get some kind of prediction. I'll go two-parter question. What's a swing game for State this year? Not the Egg Bowl. That's always going to be a weird one. What's a weird swing game for State this year that you think could define their win-loss total? There, there is no bigger game for State than it's in September. Because State could very easily be 2-3 and three at the end of September. But if they're 3-2, and two, they're going to be in really good shape. But it's that South Carolina game. So not sure if you know this. This is how the schedule goes for State and for South Carolina. State in week three plays LSU at home. Then they're at South Carolina. Then they play Alabama at home. So that's what's in the middle is South Carolina. Ooh. South Carolina goes to Georgia, hosts Mississippi State, and then goes to Tennessee. That's their schedule. And so those is, are going to be two teams that have to have that game. Don't forget South Carolina in week one plays North Carolina in Charlotte. Oh, South yeah. Carolina could legitimately go one and four in September. State, I have State losing that game as we sit here right now. 
I have State being two and three at the end of uh at the end of September because I just don't think they'll beat LSU or Alabama. And then on the road with South Carolina, I, it just depends on what Rattler shows up. But that's the game for me for Mississippi State that will determine great season or just okay season. Okay, this made me think of another question. You have them losing that game right now. What would it ha- What would you need to see in the first three games to definitively change your opinion? Is there one thing? Yeah, I mean, just and the, the first two games, you know, Southeast Louisiana is just about being clean and, and yeah, winning sure. the game easily. Then they play Arizona. I'd like to see them dominate that game. State last year, they won by 22. They probably could have won by 32. They really had a huge advantage on the line of scrimmage. I'd like to see that happen again. Then when they play LSU, it's just about what does that game look like? Last year, State... Remember, State got out to a lead in that game, and then the offense just got completely shut down. LSU uh, started blitzing Will Rogers from every conceivable angle. He could not find any of his receivers. They had a lot of drops in that game, and then you fumble a punt on the 10-yard line, and it just sort of gets away from you there. So, you know, if if they lose that game to LSU 31-28 or something like that, it's close, and LSU's just a little bit better in the end then maybe I, w- I would probably pick the South State to win. Of course, I want to see what South Carolina looks like, too. Does, do they get manhandled by Georgia? Does North Carolina give them a lot of trouble? So I, there's, there's a lot I can see in the first three weeks. That That's certainly a toss-up game. I, I'm not locked into that prediction as we speak. And then lastly, we got to get you in on the soccer corner action. We had a scheduling conflict earlier in the day that was started by me, but perpetuated by you because you couldn't miss Chelsea Lutton. I wasn't gonna miss, they, they won. I haven't seen that in quite a while. I, we've been talking about this a lot. Chelsea's been a hot mess. It sounds like what? Uh, so that was the season opener for Luttontown because they or the home opener. Excuse me. No, they, they played it. They played at Chelsea. They still have not had their home opener. Oh, okay. So because they had to delay the first Luton one. Town, that stadium Dorothy, is basically on. just like built around some buildings, and they're still doing like that stadium. Um, imagine if uh, I'm trying to think of somewhere in, like. I don't know what an apartment complex name is in Oxford, but if there was a if there was a ten thousand seat stadium in the middle of where the pool should be, that's where Luton Town plays, basically. It'd be like I lived at this place called the Retreat that has since been renamed yes. College Town. It's like if you put that at the Retreat pool, put that, it's yes. got a soccer There's stadium. There's townhouses around it. Yes, that's exactly like to go to the to go to the the, the away stand. You basically like you can see into people's houses. You like, walk you, up like New York City style, like back alley yes. apartment ladders to get into the stadium. It's absolutely bonkers. Weldon yeah. showed some of that. Are you a grumpy Chelsea fan? Or are you pissed at the direction that these are going to? Are there wankers running the club? What's going on this year? Well, I mean, the guy who runs the club also runs the Dodgers. So obviously I have an issue right right off the top there. Yeah, but, he's a wanker. Well, here's the thing. He may be a wanker, but he is a wanker who's not afraid to spend money. And he's <laughs> spent almost a billion dollars since he took over. So I'm, I'm happy with that. It's obvious that this is the first time for a long time. And being a Mississippi State guy, I am f- totally familiar with the concept of rebuilding. And it's a process, and it's going to take some time. I get it. Chelsea fans don't get that. They they want immediate results. They've signed so many young players. It's just going to take some time. You know, look, they got the win today. That's great. I thought they were really positive in the draw against Liverpool to open the season. They played really poorly last Saturday against West Ham, and they lost that game. It's just going to be a process. By the end of the year, they might be playing really well. And then going into next year, I think they can be back in the in the mix to compete for, for the top four. And then the year after that, maybe they can be back in the mix to really compete with Manchester City. But, you know, I like Pochentino. I'm willing to give him time. But I'm interested to see if, if Chelsea fans are willing to do that. Now, this time last year, though, 
or I'm not not maybe not this time, but when they when they went to Graham Potter, I was grumpy Chelsea fan. I was like, what are we doing? This guy's an idiot. He has no business with this team. Why did we fire Thomas Tuchel? I didn't like any of that. What cracks me up about learning more about the EPL is we think SEC fans are crazy. Patience oh. is not a thing with soccer fans. I feel like if you walk into a pub, like a Chelsea pub, and you're like, just give this guy some time, they'd be like, let's beat the shit out of this guy just for saying that. They fired their coach twice last year, Chelsea. They fired <laughs> That's like one of my favorite. a month, and then they gave Potter three more months, and they were like, nope, not working, and then they fired him. <laughs> Amazing. Picture, picture Kiffin, let's just say it goes really bad, right? And they lose to Tulane and Georgia Tech. And so they're one and two, and they're like, I don't care that we got to We're pay. done with this dude. He's got to get fired, right? And so they bring, they elevate, uh, who's the defensive goal? Goldie. Let's call it Goldie, yeah. Yeah. So they say, Gold, Pete, you're the head coach. You're the interim head coach. Or you're, yo, I'm sorry. Pete, you're the new head coach. We're going to go ahead and promote you. Yeah, there's no interim there. You're now the guy yeah. when they stick you in there. Then they lose by 50 points apiece to Alabama and LSU and Arkansas <laughs> beats. And they're like, you know what? This isn't working after all, Pete. You're out now. And then they just. <laughs> And then, and then what Chelsea did was the equivalent of Ole Miss calling Eli Manning and saying, just finish the season out for us. That's what Chelsea <laughs> did. They hired a guy who used to coach him. They fired him before Frank Lampard. Yeah, I remember that. Greatest. I remember playing with him in the FIFA game back in the day. Exactly. He might be their greatest player of all time. They were like, just get us to the end of the season and don't get us relegated. And that's what he did. He won one game as the Chelsea manager. It was enough to stay up. And then they were like, thanks for your service and moved on to Mauricio Pochentino. I did the last podcast of Weldon the day after or two days after the Premier League season opened. Yeah. Manchester United, he's a big man, you guy. Yeah, he is. Won a game, one nothing at Wolverhampton. Yeah. And Weldon came on and just dog cussed him about how bad they were and told me, like, we're legit Chelsea fans are like, let's sack the manager and just make a change. They got one game in, it didn't yeah. look good, and they won. And they're like, get this guy out of here immediately. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely nuts to me. It, it, it's, it's, so, it, I'm telling your, your listeners, and Bob Carscadden has gotten into uh, the Premier League this year. He's a Brighton fan now. So I was okay. like, right. The, you, you, yeah, the, the scores of the games are boring, right? One nil. Nil, nil no, but if you watch it, I actually watch it now. Exactly. I've gotten into it on Saturday, yes. Sunday mornings. It's nice to have on. It is interesting despite the not the it's, it's like there's scoring. A, I always say like a, a shot on goal is the same as a touchdown, right? In, yeah. in, in American football, the receiver would catch the pass. But you've got to be so precise. But the other stuff, the way the coaches get treated, the way the fans treat the <laughs> players over there. I mean, literally. like There's like say, actual riots and stuff sometimes. You lose one game and it's just like, this guy's got to go. And then, you know, they just throw around money. Like I said, Chelsea in a year has spent a billion dollars. And the way they do the things over there, and I, we've talked about this before, is there's no trade. There's no let's figure out what we're going to do for this, and this. No, it's just like, I'll give you $75 million for him. Okay. <laughs> and I was thinking about this earlier. There's no tampering. So Chelsea signed a midfielder, Caicedo. They say they paid $115 million for him, right? But they already had his contract signed back in May. They, You can talk to the player ahead of time and be like, hey, would you come here if we made a move? Yes. All right, let's go ahead and get your contract done. And then it's just a question of can we get him sold? And so what happened with Caicedo was Chelsea in May had him, had him contracted basically, right? They had agreed on this is what we'll pay you for however many years. He was cool with it. 
Liverpool comes in and swoops in and they get the the, the bid for Caicedo. Caicedo tells them, the hell with you. I want to go to Chelsea. So he tells him, he's like, he tells Brighton, I'm not going to Liverpool. I've already told Chelsea I'm coming. Get the deal done with Chelsea. So Chelsea sends in another bid and it, it's done. That's what I call tampering. I've heard a lot about this. The the Brits don't know about that. The Brits don't have tampering. They just like, you know, go talk to whoever you want. So last thought I'll leave you with, we need to bring the European soccer takes to okay. the SEC. So right. let's say Southeastern Louisiana kicks a field goal to open the game to go up 3 nothing with 13 and a half minutes to go. Barnett out. You need to tweet. He's not the guy. This has to be changed before the day is done. Get this man out of my club. This guy's a wanker. Get him off the field. He He's shouldn't a finish tosser. the game. I look forward to you doing that. Shambolic. If they, if they score, he's done. It'll be a shambolic tweet, I promise. <laughs> he is Brian. Hey, Dad. Super Talk Mississippi. I appreciate the time, my man. Good catching Hi, up. We'll do this again Egg Bowl week. Thanks. Take it easy, man. I thought. All right, that'll do it for our show today. Hope you're as ready for football as I am. We got Weldon Rodenberg coming down the pipe later this week to get you ready for Ole Miss Mercer. Talk some storylines headed in. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. Got some game week content coming for you there and a couple more interviews as the week winds down. So have a great start to your week. Football is back and we'll uh, talk to you here soon.